Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Thank you for this morning. We should lift you up as we get started and praise you. Um, pray for your word to go forth to um, bring peace and joy and life to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, Psalms 18 is actually a royal psalm of thanksgiving. Um, this is David is has just conquered um, and taken over the kingdom. Uh, it's kind of the warrior king looking back on his history and recounting all that God has done, the providence of his uh, his goodness in his life. Uh, and it's actually repeated in well, it it was first in Second Samuel 22. So this is almost verbatim what he says, with exception to this first verse. Um, Verse 1 says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who speaks to the Lord the words of this song, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from uh, from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love you, O Lord. My strength. Interesting that this title, Servant of the Lord, is exclusive to Moses and, and Joshua and David. And so you're going to see that picture of David taking on the role of being the leader like Moses and the conqueror like Joshua. And so he's taking on that role as, as leadership of the community. Um, what's missing in 2 Samuel is this intro, I love you, O Lord, which I think is so important that, you know, when we start with a praise, for for the people in Samuel, they're just looking at the history. There's like, oh, here's what he said. And they weren't thinking on those terms because it's more of a history book. This is a praise book, and David is very uh, direct in starting it the way he started it by saying, I love you because praise begins with an overflow of celebration of what God's done. We see that also in John chapter uh, 4 verse 19 where he says, we love him because he first loved us. You see, David, the same way. God has done something in my life and so I love him for it and I'm excited to share that with everybody. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, the stronghold. You'll you'll notice for David, it's not a rock. It's not a shield. He is mine. There's a possessiveness to who God is to it. And we all need to take in that, that same heart. When we celebrate what God's done, it's not just... He's not just out there. He is to be yours. And and David makes a point of that. Uh, interesting, Hebrews 2.13 references the verse saying that in relation to this statement, um, that he's not ashamed to call them brother. That is, those who have sacrificed and who have suffered for his name. And David had definitely been through a really hard time up to this point. You know, he's had Saul trying to kill him. He's been in the middle of the Philistines, just struggling. And yet, he's endured 
and been faithful to God. And, and so he says, listen, these are the people that God calls his brethren, his family. Verse 3 says, I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he cried, and I, and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. <clears throat> Spurgeon wrote about this. Even the hero who, hero who slew Goliath began to be afraid. The most courageous man who is a, as a rule hopes for the best may sometimes feel the worst. That's a reality. We all go through struggle and we can all fear. For David, despite the circumstances, he calls on God in the midst of it because he knows that God has been faithful in the past. And he entrusts himself to him. Verse 7, he goes on. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. And you see the whole tone change to this active God who's, who's changing. Um, this is really reminiscent of, of Mount Sinai. You have the God coming down and revealing himself. Um, also, uh, Deborah and Barak and Judges have the same vision of God coming down. Um, and we'll see this uh, in Revelation, too, and, and some of the apocalyptic portions where Jesus com comes down. But the tone changes to this descriptive point of God. He says, he, verse 9, bows the heavens also, came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and flew and sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place. His canopy around him, around him darkness of waters, thick clouds of skies. Um, interesting, this uh, verse 10, he sped upon the wings of the wind. This is the word roha, which is literally the same word we, we use for the Holy Spirit. He sped upon the wings of the spirit is what this could be written as, as opposed to just the wind. Um, he rode upon the chariots, uh, the, the, the cherubim. Um, you know, we just got through Valentine's Day and you get these, these little visions of these little bitty uh, cherub guys with their little arrow and bow and they're going to shoot you and make you fall in love. That is not the vision you have here. <laughs> not at all the vision you have here. Um, cherubs in Ezekiel are described as having a glowing human form. They're, uh, they have calves' hooves, which is kind of a crazy thought. Um, they have four faces, the face of a human, an eagle, uh, a lion, and a bull. And this is the creature, the being, who is set outside of the Garden of Eden, even, Eden the Garden of Eden, with a flaming sword to guard the way. It's a pretty powerful creature, being, whatever you want to call it. These are the beings who are, are on the Ark of the Covenant over the mercy seat. Their wings 
are, are, are hovering over. So you see the vision of God being riding these beings. Um, it's something that I don't quite understand, but I think it's something we can contemplate pretty heavily. I want you to look at this from a little bit different perspective. Uh, if you go to the next slide, um, this is the, the Scots, uh, Scotch version, and I feel like it really captures the, the poetry of it. Let me just read that. He also bowed the heavens, and thence he did descend. The thickest clouds of darkness did under his feet attend. And he upon the cherub ride, there upon he did fly. Yea, on the swift wings of the wind. He, his flight was from on high. His darkness made his secret place about him for a tent. And dark waters were and thick clouds of airy firmament. You hear that poetry? This is David the poet writing about the glory of God. And so as you read this, if you were reading it in Hebrew, you would get more of that poetic language. You're not going to get it in our English language. But I, I thought that was really captured it well. So I wanted to throw that out there. Moving on. Verse 12, from the brightness before him uh, passed his thick clouds, hailstorm, coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in heavens and the most high uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He set out his arrows and scattered them, lightning flashes and abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath. We see this image of, of what we saw in the flood where the rebuke of the Lord has come. There are some that are protected, but the rains have come to erode away everything. Uh, to expose the foundations of where you stand. Verse 16, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters and delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Interesting, the, the word here for drawing out is, once again, this Moses. Uh, it's only used describing uh, Pharaoh's daughter pulling Moses out of the Nile. Same idea that God comes like, like one who rescues out of these waters. Um, he says, you know, when things are too mighty for us, God's there. He meets us in those struggles. He allows us to, to endure it, but he's there. Um, interesting that the many waters often refer to the nations of the world that he's in the midst of all the chaos of the world and yet God drew him out um, God is pictured here as, as this divine warrior battling the waters of chaos um, wielding uh, the thunderstorms driving the myth mythical seas back rescuing and redeeming his people Verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place and rescued me 
because he delighted in me. Matthew Henry um, says, God will not only deliver his people out of their troubles in due time, but he will sustain them and bear them up under their troubles in the meantime. Jesus said uh, in the section we're going through with Bill, uh, John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. He has provided for us in the midst of the chaos of this world a peace that nobody else will ever understand without the Spirit in them. And that should be comforting in the midst of everything. Verse 20, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He's recompensed me for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not, uh, I have not wickedly departed from my God for all his ordinances were before me. I didn't put away his statutes for me and I was also blameless with him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his eyes. Interesting, you can contrast this with uh, verse 32 um, in the same chapter where he says, God makes my ways blameless. It's not just that he's like, I'm perfect. I'm, I'm, I've done everything right. Uh, clearly, he had all kinds of issues. But God made him blameless. He declared him blameless in the same way Abraham, by his faith, was credited to him as righteousness. Um, the faith is rewarded in, in a fulfillment of David's hope that God would bring him to what he promised. Uh, Colossians kind of gives us the same vision in chapter 1, verse 29. I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. It's the power of God that we live by. It's not our own. And when we start living by our own power, it is very obvious. We become weak. We become overwhelmed and struggled. And God says, just, just trust me. I'm, I know the struggles you're facing. And I will bring you through it. And that should be a comfort to us. Verse 15, with the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you show yourself astute. For you save the afflicted people, but the haughty eyes you abase. David says, you uphold the moral universe. You are in charge of it. It's not my job to uphold this. You're doing it. The way we relate to the Lord and his creation determines the way that he relates to us. We see this played out in, in the Beatitudes and, and, and just after that in chapter 6 of, of Matthew where uh, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and at the end he says, uh, forgive, uh, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And he says, if, um, if you... Forgive, uh, your father will forgive you and he will not forgive you if you don't forgive others. That's a pretty powerful statement. He treats you the way you're going to treat the people around you. That's disturbing. 
if you don't have that heart of forgiving, how can he have the heart of forgiving to you? And so we are called to have that compassion. It doesn't mean we accept abuse from people, but we forgive and we move on. Ultimately, God manifests himself through those who are displaying that character. And on the other side, he says, you show yourself astute uh, to those who are crooked. Romans 1.28 says, God gave them over to a deprived mind. There's a point where people have rejected him, and he says, that's fine. I will give them over. Moving on, verse 28 for you light my lamp. You light me. Uh, you light my lamp. The Lord, my God, illuminates my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. David's just excited about what God's done. And the reality is that's what the word is to be to us. It is an illumination for our life, a light to our path. Arthur uh, Weiser wrote, that is, that God bestowed upon him a new vitality so that the darkness of his affliction gave way to a a renewed joy in life, a new zest for life, which allied to God urges him on to faithful deeds. That's what God wants for you. He is pushing you on to be faithful to him, to do what he's called you to do, to reveal the better path. Scripture says it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Verse 30, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Interesting, once again, this is reminiscent of Moses in in Deuteronomy uh, 32, um, where Moses says, who is God but our God? It's almost the same words, but it's a little different. Uh, Interesting, the words here, God, Eloah, is the singular word. So it's not Elohim, which is what the last statement is, um, the, the, the end of the accept our God it's, is Elohim. This is a singular who is the great power. Remember we talked about Elohim relating to spiritual power a few weeks back. Who is that? But this, this, this transition word um, is Bilad, um, and it's only used here. This is the only place in the Bible that it's used, um, and it has a couple different ideas. It could be besides. It could, we could use but. Um, we could use without or apart from. And the Lord is is Jehovah. In other words, what power is there when you're separated from Jehovah? Is there anything? that has power besides him? Is there any authority greater than Jehovah? And he's very clear. No, there's not. (laughs) There's 
And he moves on. The second one is who is a rock except this except once again is another word that isn't anywhere else in scripture. Uh, it's uh, Zula. Uh, and and it, it can be except, it can be with the exception of or, or even the removal of. Who is a rock with the removal of Elohim? That is this, this power. If you don't have God, what do you have? Who can be stationary and a solid foundation without God in their lives? And the reality is, is we're not. We have nothing. We become tossed and, and moved by every emotion and wave of life. God says, I'm the rock, the foundation of your life. I won't be moved. And if you just cling to me, you won't be moved either. And that's exciting. And that's the heart of David's uh, psalm here. There's nothing more solid than God. And I cannot be solid without him. Verse 32, the God who girds me with strength and makes my ways blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. This is uh, back in Habakkuk uh, 3.19 if you want to go back there later. Um, Moving on, uh, 34, he trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. Your gentleness makes me great. Did I skip that? Yeah, your gentleness makes me great. Okay. David refocuses on God, what he's done for him, with him, through him. And we're not great by force. We're great in his love. 2 Corinthians says, the weapons of our warfare are not are uh, not of flesh, but are divinely powerful. You know, for David, he he was a warrior, and it was a physical war that he was waging. For us, we are waging a spiritual war, and the weapons that we have are spiritual weapons. Ephesians six says, therefore. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil time, in the evil day. And the reality is we are in evil times. And we need to be prepared. You know, for David, he says, God has trained me. He has has empowered me. He's given me the shield of salvation. And that gift is something that we can't take advantage of, but we have to take up. We are to put it on, not just leave it laying there while we go out into a battle. And so often that's what happens with a lot of us. We don't take up these weapons that he's given us. We don't saturate our lives in the word. We don't live in faith. 
We don't prepare for the battle that's ahead. That's, that's the importance of taking time, spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord, taking time to personally study the word yourself, preparing your heart for whatever battle is coming, because it's coming. If you're not in it already, it's coming. We are to take up those armaments and be prepared and be ready to resist. What happens when we do? Verse 36, you enlarge my steps under me. My feet have not slipped. Remember, we we referenced this back in uh, the last chapter in Psalm 17, verse 5. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. We talked about how Deuteronomy, God said, vengeance is mine, and their feet will slip in due time. For the day of calamity is near, and the impending things are hastened upon them. But if we're prepared, our feet won't slip. If we are empowered by him, We're secure on the rock. Verse 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise and they fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength for the battle. You've subdued under me those who rose up against me. And you've also made my enemies turn their backs to me. And I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help. But there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as dust before the winds. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. Romans 8.37 says, In all things, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's the position we're in. We are more than conquerors with David in the midst of the battle. Verse 41 is interesting in that these people cried for help, but there wasn't anybody to save them, and they even cried to the Lord. The reality is that prayer is a weapon, and even the wicked turn to it, but they wield it out of the flesh as opposed to a true prayer, which is an overflow of the Spirit. And the reality is God's kingdom isn't divided. And he won't hear them in his wrath. But he will uphold the righteous. Verse 43, You've delivered me from the contentious, from the people... You have placed me as a head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortress. And 2 Samuel 8 kind of plays this out. David had conquered all these territories, and they are now paying tribute to him. He has become the king 
uh, and the foreigners have kind of gradually disappeared. They're all in hiding, waiting for the rest of the warriors to come and destroy them. But this is also prophetic of Jesus and the Messiah coming, redeeming even the foreign nations. For David, you know, the Jews were the chosen people. And part of the prophecy was that all nations would come. And for us, we are evidence of the fulfillment of this prophecy. If you're not a Hebrew, you are a fulfillment of this prophecy. If you're following Jesus. And that should in encourage your faith that God is faithful. He has accomplished what he promised. The Gentiles, every foreign nation, ultimately will be under his rule. It says every knee will bow to him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And there will no longer be any foreigners. There will only be people of of God. Because his kingdom is ultimately going to be the only kingdom. And that is something we are looking forward to. Verse 46, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies and surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescued me from violent men. This, for David, the violent man was Saul himself. The king, for us, it's the wicked of the world. There's all kinds of violence. And for Jesus, it was just antichrist in general. He rescues. David says, therefore... I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praise to your name. What's the plan? As we see what God's done for David, he saw it, he celebrates it, and he says, listen, what can I do but praise God now? It's exciting to see what he's done. Romans uh, 15 quotes uh, this verse uh, in verse 9. Um, saying the reason to be thankful here is that God has fulfilled his promise that the Gentiles are now able to glorify God for his mercy. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our response is thankfulness and praise. And our desire for everyone around us is that everyone be filled with the same peace. Matthew 28 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of who? 
all nations, all people, everyone. Because this is the goal. To change the nations of this world into God's kingdom. So that there's no need for these stupid fights over territory, over possessions, whatever it is. Under God, we don't need that. Because we live in love. We live in grace and humility. That's what God's calling us to. To go and make disciples. So that they don't have to worry about the world problems anymore. They are another nation. Another kingdom that really has nothing to do with us. Our kingdom is in heaven. And it is coming to the earth. And we are here to be those ambassadors that are proclaiming it now. Verse 50, he gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Second Samuel 7, God had promised to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And we see that happening now in Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. And for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. You know, we had these stickers that said others. That's the point. The gospel is not only about you. It's about living, enduring all things that others may obtain salvation. That should be your heart. You, God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love. The love desires others to have the same peace that we have. That's our prayer for each of you today. That you would experience his peace. And that you would proclaim his name to those around you. Bring others to the kingdom. Father, we lift you up. I thank you that you are king of the universe. And to the increase of your kingdom, there shall be no end. That is such a beautiful thought and truth. Your increase will have no end. And so, Lord, we want to participate in that increase. We want to be those who hear your spirit and speak the truth in love 
but celebrate all you've done. Just like David, having overcome, when we overcome, we proclaim it is not by our power, but by yours. We thank you that you are there. You are the rock that steadies us and empowers us in the midst of the storm. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.